Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Menschwormers, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? Hey, folks. Is that your Mark Marin? Hey, folks. Stamps.com. Stamps.com. We're not a Stamps.com podcast. I'm doing great. How are you? Quite, quite the way to welcome in uh, new guests with your off-brand uh, Mark Marin impression. Really, really steering into the the podcasting uh, stereotypes. I, I was about to say, I think if you if you host a podcast, you have to have a Mark Marin impression or a Joe Rogan impression. But I I don't know if I've ever actually listened to a moment of Joe Rogan to know what his his podcast sounds like. I, I've watched news radio, so I have an idea of what he sounded like twenty five years ago. Was is 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 the podcast an extension of his news radio character? As far as I know, yes, because in news yeah. radio he played a moron. So I think, <laughs> uh, from what I understand, that is also his podcast personality. Oh wow! Well, we got one one heck of a show, a, a three ring circus of a show. Tonight. Oh, that's that's great, and a great way to introduce our guest for the for the evening, uh, sports writer Jeff Perlman, the author of a number of books. I think seven is the number. Many. I think it's nine. I think it was nine. nine. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, he, he wrote a book called Showtime about the uh, Showtime Lakers that has been turned into a television show uh, that's going to be debuting this coming Sunday. Uh, we're talking on a Monday night, but on Sunday, March, March, Sunday, March 6th, it's going to be debuting on HBO. And we talked to him about that, you know, how the TV show got made, his involvement in it and everything like that. Uh, really so it'll be guest. on it'll be on HBO, HBO Max and Crave for those in Canada. Oh, that's good to know. I do get Crave. I don't get uh, HBO Max. But yeah, we talked to Jeff about his career, um, about his bar mitzvah. Uh, we talked about his famous interview with uh, Atlanta, Bra- Atlanta Braves closer John Rocker that became very famous because Rocker said a bunch of homophobic and uh, racist things about pitching he, in, he in New some, York City. He threw some real racism in there. Yeah. So it's really interesting to get his perspective on that. You know, he's had a really impressive career as a sports writer, um, you know, both for magazines and, and you know, for his own writing uh, that, that has been turned into books. So really great to be joined by him uh, and, and press you, you know, good timing, too, because this this TV show is coming out soon. Uh, one thing we didn't get to, unfortunately, in the in the interview, which I would have loved to talk about amongst all of this is his new book, um, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, you know, to, to throw it on in there because he's got a new one coming out as well. But thanks so much to Jeff for being on the show with us. Uh, and and we're excited for all of you to hear the chat. But in the meantime, James, what's happening this week in sports? Well, I think I, I saw a great tweet that, that said something to the effect of, um, you know, February 2022 is the worst month ever for not wanting your politics in your sports. Uh, not wanting a collision. And so, you know, it's February 28th. The war in Ukraine is ongoing. Um, there's peace talks right now, which we'll, we'll talk about in a sec. Not the thing we're going to focus on. I mean, we're a sports <laughs> podcast, but we have a, we have a special edition episode focusing exclusively on the Russia-Ukraine <laughs> conflict. It, it is affecting, you know, sports around the world and and Jewish athletes and uh, sports per- people in different ways. It's something we got to we got to mention at least a little bit. I'd also like before we get in, get into it, really, I'd also like to bring up that I think it was about 18 months ago, I, I sent an email to our producer, Mike, saying, hey, Mike, you know, I think we should get this Vladimir Zelensky on the show. He's Jewish. I think he would be a good guest. Presumably he's into soccer. It would have been a good one. Now he's probably a little bit uh, harder to get, maybe probably for the foreseeable future. Um, but a few a few <laughs> Jewish stories to talk about um, in relation to that. Uh, the first one, is, I think, is pr- pretty big news: is that uh, the the owner of the Chelsea Football Club, uh, Roman Abramovich, who's a you know one of the famed oligarchs who's who's always talked about as you know sort of wielding all the wealth and control in Russia, has had to relinquish relinquish control of uh, of Chelsea. 
And he did he do this voluntarily or was it sort of, you know, thrust upon him? It, it's hard to exactly say. It's, it seems like it might have been taken away from him if he didn't give it up. And, and to be clear, he hasn't ceded ownership of the club. I mean, his ownership is worth, I don't know, $4 billion. Like it's a huge, it's a hugely valuable property, but he's given up control. Um, he ceded stewardship of it to a, a, you know, sort of board of trustees type group. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to monitor that he, he is involved in a lot of sports, both in Russia and the UK. And I think in Israel as well, I'm not sure if he has any actual uh, ownership of, uh, of any team in Israel, but um, you know, it, it's an interesting story because there's not that many cases we know where owners are forced out. There's like, you know, the Donald Serling type, uh, Donald Sterling type, type deals, but it's rare yeah. that someone is forced out just because of, you know, geopolitical reasons, let's say. I'd say reasons that aren't necessarily part of them. I think, we, you know, presumably it is also something that, that Abramovich, you know, I don't, he's a very close confidant of Putin's um, and, and hasn't yet spoken out against the, the military action and the occupation. Right. Um, but I think, you know, it's, you know, he's a commodities and oil and gas trader that, uh, uh, like we said, is very, very close to the leader. So presumably he's not necessarily involved in this action, but is sort of part of the problem. Well, you know, he is now. He, so he, Russian imperialism. So sense. he's actually, he's there at the, uh, at the peace talks or the, you know, talks that they're having in Belarus right now um, between Ukraine and Russia. He is like facilitating them or participating in them. You know, he's been involved in Russian politics directly. So um, you, it's interesting yeah, anyone, to see him involved in this as well. Do you think he's, so he's had a very long political career as well as he's owned Chelsea for about 20 years. He's, you know, done a lot of work for, for Israel and anti-Semitism and all over the world. Do you think anyone sort of asks for tickets as a political quid pro quo i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure they've been offered at times i mean it's a it's a hot ticket you know chelsea's a you know one of the you know i i five or six probably famed premier league teams and uh i i guess it's just saying it's an interesting story it's an interesting thing to monitor as you said like i can't really think of any situations where someone's had to divest from a team and that hasn't happened yet but it may um, because of sort of geopolitical reasons. And, and again, it's not just, he, he's not just like average Russian citizen who happens to be a billionaire. He is like a, a, a Putin confidant and, so, uh, you know, politician. Interestingly, so. not, not um, uh, with, with, you know, in, in not necessarily Jewish, but the, cur- the same thing is currently happening in F1, um, where one of the owners and sponsors of the uh, Haas F1 team, which is actually an American team, their biggest sponsor is the, you know, Ural Kali, which mm-hmm. is a potash company owned by Dmitry Mazepin, another very close confidant of Putin, whose son is actually the driver of the team. Right. Um, and the owners of the team are sort of forcing out the sponsorship right now. Uh, they used to fly, they used to race with the Russian flag on their car. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not happening anymore. It, it, would have, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened with uh, Mikhail uh, Prokhorov if he still was the owner of the of the Brooklyn Nets. I, he, you know, he sold the team two or three years ago. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to monitor. I, you know, Joe, Joe Tsai, who, who's the current owner, is, again, someone who's, you know, connection with the, uh, with the Chinese Communist Party. I, yeah, a difficult <laughs> government. Has, you know, put his... Uh, I don't know. It has made him not a controversy-free figure. I have so, to anyway, say, interesting it's, looking at it from that perspective. It's a bit of a bummer about Abramovich, in my opinion, because he, you know, as a sort of a notable wealthy Jewish person in London, he has spent untold amounts of time and effort fighting anti-Semitism, both in sports and around the world. Yeah. Um, you know, Chelsea, who for a long time was known as the team of the National Front Party of Britain, 
um, mm-hmm. which for our non-British listeners is, I guess, akin to any sort of white nationalist party that you have in your country that may have actually won some seats every now and again. Um, you know, he he banned them from the stadium as soon as he took over ownership and hosts, you know, global anti-Semitism conferences and, and spends a lot of time and effort fighting anti-Semitism. And to learn that someone like that is also, you know, a crony of a petulant, difficult dictator who's recently had a bad facelift is not great. Uh, you know, on the on the player side of things, we we have seen comments from uh, Elena Svitolina, who has who has now been confirmed as having some Jewish heritage, a tennis player who's you know been ranked in the top five, um, you know, condemning the attacks, and uh, obviously that that's been echoed by people all over the world, both Ukrainian and not Ukrainian. Uh, you know, even some Russian tennis players and, and Russian athletes have can have have been able to condemn what's going on in Russia because of their position outside of the country and their, you know, ability to get away with some uh, discussion of it. So anyways, obviously interesting how politics always affects sports uh, and vice versa. You know, this hey, is that's just, why we're here. Yeah. Um, one other thing I, I wanted to talk about was uh, Daniel Berger at the uh, Honda Classic. Um, he was so close. He had he so three close. weeks of, of, of such, such closeness. Yeah, so he was the clubhouse leader after 24 holes, sorry, after 36 holes and after 54 holes as well, and just really struggled on on Sunday. Uh, He was four over when all the other leaders shot under par. Um, he, he put it in the water on 18 going for it on a, on a par five. Cause he had to Eagle out to, uh, to tie Seb, Sepp Straka who, who won the tournament. So disappointing finish for, uh, you know, one of the two really notable Jewish golfers on, on the PJ tour. Uh, I still think he's, he's got a win or two in him this season. Um, you know, hopefully he's, he's peaking as, as the, as the major start, um, or the players championship, I guess is coming up first, but you know, be interesting to keep an eye on Daniel Berger. I think he's going to be a good bet to, uh, to win some tournaments coming up. Hopefully he can rebound from, from falling apart on Sunday and, uh, and put up some good numbers. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think he will be soon too. Uh, so beyond burger, beyond, uh, uh, beyond, or, uh, beyond burger. That's funny. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, we should talk. Maybe we have a, a segment where we talk about the rest of the PGA Tour on our podcast called Beyond Burger. Beyond, Bur- Beyond Burger. Gabe, any other notable stories in the world of choosing sports this week? Uh, I don't know if you saw lately, but we had a Kipa wearing Amare Stoudemire show up to a Yeshiva University basketball game. Right. Uh, the sky, the Skyline Conference Finals. Probably the first, uh, the first Amare s- sighting at a, at a Skyline Conference game. I wonder if any NBA player, current or former, has ever been to a Skyline Conference game. Ooh, good question. I, I'm sure someone's made it to uh, yeah, one, one of those games. But uh, yeah, Yeshiva and he, he University. he took his friend Enos Freedom with him, too. That's right. Um, so Yeshiva University, the Maccabees, uh, won the Skyline Conference uh, tournament. They have made it into the D3 uh, NCAA tournament. It's not, I don't think it's seeded per se. There's like little clusters at different schools um so they have a match on friday against johns hopkins and then i think saturday saturday night if they win uh they're they're ranked uh, i think highly again very highly they've had a few losses now but they've won the last several games that they played uh that, i mean that's amazing that i mean they had that loss unfortunately i think they're ranked two in the country right now wow so they've gone right right back up right back up um and that'll be really exciting to see them in this tournament you know if they win finally get that national championship they've been looking forward to that would be really really spectacular for all i guess jewish people the world over um the other i think it's it's like you know even if they don't win they really they they do get the chance to 
to try this time. And, you know, our listeners, I think, will remember that two years ago because of COVID, their uh, their run in the 2020 tournament was stopped short just because, uh, you know, there was no tournament. So um, you know, the, the winning streak is over. They lost three games this year, but they have a chance. They have a chance to compete. They have a chance to go really far and potentially will win the whole thing. You know, Ryan Terrell was, was named the player of the week in Skyline. Um, he's probably as good a D3 player as there is. And uh, uh, Allegedly, you know, in addition to at that Skyline Conference Finals, Amari, apparently there were a lot of NBA scouts at that game and rumors are yeah. abound about if and where he might sign at the end of the season or next. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he could be the next Jack Sigma, uh, talking about a, D, <laughs> a D3 player who, who made it to the NBA. I mean, he, that he would could be, be next Brad Stevens. Yeah, I think at this point he's gonna get gonna get a He'll solo get a run. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. So something we'll we'll keep an eye on, and and good luck to Yeshiva as they uh, fight it out in the D three tournament. Uh, let's turn now to our interview with Jeff Perlman. We're joined tonight by Jeff Perlman. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, my pleasure. Jeff, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, uh, your career, things like that? Sure. I'm, uh, well, I'm straight out of the mean streets of Mayo Pack, New York. I um, I write books mainly for a living. I spent a lot of time at Sports Illustrated, The Tennessean, Newsday for a little bit. And um, I've written nine books and my 10th is coming out. And I guess one of the reasons you have me here is because my one of my books called Showtime about the 80s Lakers is about to be, well, there's an HBO series starting shortly called Winning Time, which is based on that book. So here and I, I assume they can't call it Showtime for obvious reasons. Yeah, it's annoying. It was the I mean, it's no big deal, but it was the Showtime. It was Showtime. Sort of the project was known as Showtime. And then um at some point they were like, ah, you know, Showtime. This is, this is one of our big rivals, and we can't we can't have a TV show with I get name. it. It was a little bit did of a it, bummer because the book is called Showtime, but I totally understand. Right. Did it ever occur to you to call it HBO Max, the story of the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers? I was thinking more it would be really cool if it was like Jeff Perlman presents. Yes. Right. I'm doing there. Yeah. Yes. Or or exactly. stars, stars, the LA Lakers. That would have been the other. They would have had to cancel that too. Um. So so Jeff, tell us a little bit. What's Showtime about? What is uh? What are the Showtime Lakers? What was your book about? Uh, what were you looking into with that? So it's basically '79 through '91, the Lakers, basically beginning with the Magic Johnson Jerry Bus arrival and concluding with Magic's HIV announcement. Um. I consider that team and those years to be arguably the most important sort of run in the NBA when magic Johnson and Larry bird arrive into the league, the NBA is kind of this floundering uh, entity. A lot of the franchises are, you know, approaching bankruptcy. Like uh, the, the, the finals in 1980 are on tape delay. It's right. kind of amazing. 1980 NBA finals were shown on tape delay and it's just sort of about this transformative period. And, you know, a lot of it is based on three guys on those teams, magic Kareem and Pat Riley and kind of the rise and the highs and lows of that whole run. So that's really the, what the book is about. Right. So I've noticed, I mean, I've noticed, I'm sure a lot of your, our listeners and, and readers who, who know about you, you've written more than one book about the Lakers. Uh, you've written two, exactly. Um, your second one, Three Ring Circus, came out two years ago, I believe. Um, what is it about the Los Angeles Lakers that you find makes them so bookworthy? I mean, I guess it's not the Lakers themselves. It's sort of those periods and the uh, the characters. Like, uh, right. The reason I pitched that first book, number one, when I was growing up in New York back in the 80s, you couldn't get, um, you wouldn't see the Lakers that much. And when you did see them on TV, it was always like, uh, you know, you're in the cold, you're in New York, and they show 
you know, we're live from Inglewood and they show the outside of the stadium and they always do the shot with the palm trees and they'll do a quick shot of the beach nearby. And then you go and inside. Like the big spotlights going. Yeah. And it's like, they show the, uh, the Laker girls and there's Jack Nicholson next to Diane <laughs> Cannon, next to whoever. And then you see magic and these cool uniforms and Kareem. And it was always just really represented to me as a kid, Hollywood, like Hollywood, right. the same way, like the Los Angeles Rams helmets glistening in the sun represented Hollywood. So I always had that with me. So when I'm, when you're pitching a book, number one, I'm big into nostalgia. Number two, I'm big into big characters. And with those Lakers, you had magic Kareem Riley with the other Lakers, you had Shaq, Kobe, Phil. So it didn't have to be the Lakers, right? But everything kind of came together and worked as one. It, it, it does seem like there's something magical about the characters in, in, especially I think in Kareem and, and magic Johnson and just being these incredibly charismatic, interesting guys who, you know, could really just hold a room in a press conference you know, aside altogether from the fact that they're two of the best, probably 10 basketball players of all time, I think most people would agree on that. They're just these, you know, they're stars. Like they're, they were stars in a different sense. And uh, I, I think that's, I don't know. It, just, it, it seems to pro- pro- propel the Lakers in the public consciousness, aside from just they were good at basketball and, and, you know, were able to beat up on the Celtics a bunch of times. Well, I would say it's true with Magic, not as much with Kareem. Like okay. Kareem had been there a bunch of years before Magic got there. Kareem had very little charisma. He was an introvert. He was very guarded. When the Lakers would get, would fly, which they flew commercial at that point, hmm. he would hide in a bathroom stall with a book and just sit on the toilet reading a book for two hours because he hated getting recognized, hated signing autographs. And Magic comes along and he's the opposite. And the uh, for me, the, the when I think about Magic Johnson, the Lakers, there's a scene in my book, which obviously it happened, like where he's in LA for the first time and he's being driven by, I think, a limousine. And he asks the driver to stop and he gets out of the car and he picks an orange off of a tree and he's just holding this orange. And he's like, oh my God, you guys grow fruit on trees out here. This is amazing. Wow. I just think like, to me, that's a moment that really says what it's all about. Just the bringing together of a perfect city, perfect team and this guy who was made for the spot. And especially somebody who comes from like the auto plant manufacturing world of all, of all gray metal. Exactly. You know, and and it, I would say magic growing up in Michigan, going to Michigan State, like L.A. is about as far from that as you could possibly get. I would agree. And one thing I love about this show is the guy who plays magic is a kid named Quincy Isaiah. He was a uh, he's a kid from Michigan, also played Division three college football in Michigan. And it's that same kind of thing. I keep when I've talked to him, I'm always like, man you are actually living the Hollywood dream. Like he posted the other day on Instagram, a photo of him standing in front of a billboard in LA with his photo on it. And I'm like, oh, that's this is awesome. the exact same thing. It's so unbelievably cool. Yeah. And he's a guy from Michigan as well. Did you feel that ending the book in, in 1991, is that sort of, I mean, obviously Magic Johnson retires, um, came back briefly after that, but it, it was his retirement. Uh, was, was it a sort of end of the party? Certainly the end, the end of a Lakers era. I, I think Definitely. that's fair to say. hundred percent. I mean, HI, they made the finals with him against the Bulls. And then basically he's HIV positive and he stops. And the uh, thing there was, I don't know if it's interesting, but when I wrote the Shaq Kobe years, I actually started it with Magic's brief comeback. Right. So it, it almost did feel to me a little bit like a sequel book. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That bridge there, I guess comeback. between 90, 93 or 94 and 97 right. when Kobe's drafted or 98. Or 96. 96. And, uh, people forget like who's, Magic. Who's counting? Come- Magic, yeah, he's counting. Magic's comeback was kind of a uh, a disaster. Like he came back and everyone was excited and nobody really wanted to play with him. And, you know, he's kind of, yeah. you know, a little, it was okay, but not great. And he had the dream team in between. He did have the dream team and he came back to coach briefly and that was a disaster. Uh, right. And I'm, and I mean, just out of curiosity for our listeners, is this pre or post Starbucks Magic Johnson? This is pre Starbucks Magic Johnson. Pre-generational wealth, Magic Johnson. <laughs> Correct. Correct. But it's amazing. I mean, you I don't you guys I don't know how old you guys are, but you're probably young for it. Like we all 
I always say this, 1991, I'm in college, Magic announces HIV positive. Mm-hmm. We all just assumed he was going to go the way every public figure who had HIV at that time did, which is he loses a ton of weight. He starts getting lesions all over his face. We see him walking around with a walker and then we hear about him dying. Right. Say, well, we're always this cliche. We're always going to remember him for his vibrant self. It's insane. Like when he came back the other day when he was at the uh, 75 greatest players, I mean, he looks better than most of those guys. (laughs) Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, I, and I've heard people talk about how for, you know, the younger generation of basketball fans, they don't even, they're not even aware of the fact that Magic James Johnson is HIV positive or that, that's a, or that that's an issue or a thing because he's just been this sort of, you know, jovial uh, public figure, you know, again, like a star always in the limelight for the last, for, certainly for the last 25 years. Correct. And, um, you know, the fact that he made this huge announcement or that, as you say, everyone thought he was going to die within a few, within a short period of time. It, it's totally lost from the public consciousness, which is, which is a great, great and a testament to him and <laughs> I, I guess the you know efficacy of hiv drugs around the time that he developed hiv um so it, it is amazing to see that i I, I, I do have a question I, I want to know just from from your perspective you wrote this book you know seven eight years ago what what's your um what's your position in terms of how the sausage is made of a book becoming a tv show by my position do you mean what how did it happen how did it happen? What was your involvement after the, you know, the book was optioned or the decision was made to turn it into a TV show? How, how does that all, yeah, how does that all happen? All right. So I've had books optioned multiple times and the first time it happens to an author, he or she, they, um, you always think, wow, I'm going to have a book made into a TV show. I'm going to have a book made into a movie. This is unbelievable. And you tell your friends and holy cow, and then it doesn't happen. And then you have another one optioned and it doesn't happen. And the thing is, there's so much BS flying around that business, Hollywood. And everyone sure. tells you, I always say this now, like somebody is always, somebody is always somebody else's uncle's cousin's brother's nephew's friend with Halle Berry or, okay. you know, Tom Hanks. I know Tom Hanks is publicist and I'm going to get it to him. And it's just nonsense. So the book came out. Well, well you know who runs Hollywood, don't you? We're allowed to make that joke, by the way. I do. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You're the guy. You're the guy. Our people run Hollywood. It's so true. So basically it all happened because I'm Jewish. That's why it happened. (laughs) You know, I decided this card. I should, they said, are you Jewish? And I said, yes. He said, can you prove it? I said, here's my bar mitzvah uh, invitation. They said, oh, and and the earlier book, that was just a misunderstanding. What you should have told us. Exactly. I didn't you. Exactly. Um, (laughs) That's funny. So um, what is funny though, I will tell you this. So 2014 book comes out. There's a screenwriter named Jim Hecht who's kind of a, you know, he's struggling and he did an Ice Age movie and he's written scripts and he's talented, but struggle. And he comes to my house, he's Jewish as well, on Easter Sunday, 2014, because two Jews on Easter, what are you going to do? Sure. And he wants to, he wants to buy the rights, get the rights to this book I wrote. And he shows up and I think he went through Grand Central Station to get to my house in New Rochelle, New York at the time. And he has with him a block, a block of chocolate wrapped in saran wrap, a tomato and a <laughs> bottle of, of wine drink, not wine, wine drink. And we're like, what the hell is this? What is this? But he didn't know what to bring. And he had to bring something because he's come to dinner. It's Easter Sunday, but not much sure. is open. He shows up and I'm very skeptical. And he's like, well, I love this book and blah, blah, blah. And it'd be great. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, all right, fine. And I gave him the rights to it, which I shouldn't have done. I gave it to him for no money, which is a mistake, but it worked out here. And through the years, he would always be like, it's going to happen. And I'm always like, it's never going to happen. No, it's going to happen. It's never going to happen. We'd have meetings with people. It's going to be great. It doesn't happen. And then a few years ago, he's like, uh, Adam McKay wants us to come to his house. And I, do you guys know who Adam McKay is? Yeah. So yeah. he's a writer director. He's done a lot of, a few movies now, Big Short. Correct. Um, and uh, Vice recently, Don't Look Up, that's just got nominated. And he developed Succession too. Correct. He's kind of yeah. big time. And I didn't yeah. know who he was. I had no idea. So I 
He's like, Adam McKay wants us to come to his house. I'm like, all right. I show up at the house, standing outside the house, Googling Adam McKay. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, he, he's the house. Ricky Bobby guy. Yeah, exactly. I go to, well done. I, I go to his house with, um, <laughs> with Jim Hecht and uh, he's cool. We talk, he likes basketball. We talk sports. It's great. I'm still skeptical. HBO sends me contracts. All right. I sign them. I'm still skeptical. And then um, one day, like the Hollywood reporter put out an article about the casting for the show. And it was like John C. Riley and Sally Field or something cast in this new show based off of Jeff Roman's book. And I'm like, holy crap. That's my dog, by the way. Um, I'm like, holy crap. This is really? And people started emailing me. Did you see this in the Hollywood Reporter? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And then it just started going fast. And, and, and no one had talked to you between the contract signing and this article. No. Wow. Maybe Jim had said to me, I think it's going to happen or something. But one day someone emailed me this article and I was like, wow. And it's insane. And that's that's it. amazing. So it just, you know, it just sort of takes on a life of its own or doesn't, I guess, in, in the ones that didn't get uh, developed into TV shows. But yeah. Uh, and the thing is, like, this is the thing I always say is important. People are like, wow, congratulations. And wow, this is amazing. And wow, the success. And wow, all this. Right. And I'm always like, and I really mean this, this isn't like fake humility, like I just wrote the book. Like I just wrote the book. <laughs> People like, like the actor who played Michael Cooper, uh, Delante D'Souza, great guy. He's like, I was on the set and he's like, do you ever look around and think like all this wouldn't happen if it weren't for you? And it's like, it's kind of accidental. Like I, uh -huh. I just wrote the book and someone, luckily Jim Hecht, it's really Jim Hecht's baby. Like he's the one who had the brainchild that this should be a TV show. But I'm still going to a, I'm going to a premiere in a couple of days and it's the coolest thing ever, you know? That's amazing. That's great. And, I, I, and I, have you, have you watched, uh, have you been able to see any of the episodes? I've seen all of them. Oh, you've seen all of them. That's great. Um, I, I, we should note for, for, for podcast uh, purposes, there are two prominent, at least Jewish actors in it. Uh, Jason Siegel's playing Paul Westhead and Adrian Brody, of course, as, as Pat Riley. Interesting, interesting casting choice, but. Uh, Adrian Brody, Jewish? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Didn't even know. Big, oh, time. big time. And, and I mean, because it's, it's, our responsibility to know these things <laughs> of the Jewish characters. There's Red Auerbach, and right. that was about it. Are there think, any uh, we missed? I, I assume Don, is Don Serling in the in the show at some point. I would think he'd play in at some he point. Is. He yeah, is. but I saw yeah um, Michael Chiklis playing Red Auerbach. I'm looking forward to that. Should be should not be Jewish fun to watch. Not Jewish, not but, Jewish. Uh, but Red Auerbach, of course, the great uh, Jewish yeah, yeah. basketball coach. That's funny. So yeah. it's it's really exciting. I think uh, I'm really excited to see it. It's it has it well at least from what I've seen from the trailer, it has a real like of the era vibe uh, in terms of how it was shot and the colors and uh, I don't know the uh, the vibe of it all. So I'm really looking forward to that. It looks like a fun chill is, is is what I get from the show. It's really fun, and uh, I'm obviously biased because you know, but it's freaking great. But I, can I talk about my bar mitzvah with you guys? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely. This is the place. Skipping to talk ahead about like your six questions, but yeah, of course. <laughs> I want your opinion on my bar mitzvah. Okay, please. I'm being sincere. I have a debate with my mom <laughs> that's ongoing, and she will hate that she I bring this up, but she probably won't hear it, and that's okay. So that's why I'm going to do it. Yeah, 1985, Mount Kisco Holiday in Mount Kisco, New York, bar mitzvah. Okay, I'm reformed Jew, you know. Yeah. Um. So the service and the the service is held in one room of the Mount Kisco Holiday Inn. Then the aftermath. Okay. My mom sends out two different invitations to people. Okay. One is just for a cocktail hour in the bar of the Mount Kisco Holiday Inn. The other is for the cocktail hour and the reception, the major, you know, the ballroom reception, also in the Mount Kisco Holiday Inn. The bar mitzvah happens, and people come. The people who are only invited to part one don't know that there's a part two. Right. Like they're invited to a cocktail reception. So then you have 70% of the people going off to the major ballroom and 30% have to just go, just go home. 
I say that is in horrible taste and that someone out there still remembers that. Yes. My mom disagrees. What says you guys? I would say, so I think it depends. The, I think the thing we're not considering here is how adept is the event staff at the Mount Kisco Holiday Inn? Not, <laughs> especially the bar mitzvah staff. It's a bit of a DIY bar mitzvah. At, also, at the, I would say I grew up in a very not Jewish town. So like a lot of the guests wouldn't even know how these things work. So I think a lot of guests probably just assumed, oh, the, the cocktail reception is what's right. happening with the bar mitzvah. Yeah. And wouldn't even know there's this big party until they see everyone going to the big party. So did you have I think any gate crashers? No, but I remember Jimmy McDonald, who lived grew up the street from me, <laughs> saying to his mom, "Wait, we can't go to the party," and his mom having to explain to him, which blows a million times over. Yeah. So, so I think the the, the problem is not in the in the separation so much as the execution, because I know that people do this often, for example, like at a wedding or something like that, where it's like, they'll invite people to come for dessert. And it's like, you don't come for the first several hours. Wait, well, it's like, so this is yeah, something I've heard. Thing. It's like, you, they, they're not given a seat and a dinner, but it's like, come at 10. You know, often people will do it with like, their siblings friends you know the bride siblings friends or something like that where like it's if like there's you know, a band and drinks we want you to have like, fun you know. yeah we want there to people to be there and party and dance show up at nine o'clock and uh you know you won't have a table and dessert or whatever but you, you know there'll be snacks and, and drinks and stuff like that so come for that I, and then it makes and then it works because everybody's there and then more people come in later i just i just want to interject really quickly that i would kill to go to a wedding where dinner was over at nine o'clock that's fair. Yeah. But here's my question for you, Gabe. Would you have to bring a gift if you're only invited to dance and have cake? Less. Less of less, a gift. Less of a gift. Still a so gift. Like $30 gift card to Target kind of gift. <laughs> sure. That would be hard. We're in Canada, so that would be especially cruel because Target uh, went out of business here like five years ago. Uh, but uh, still, yeah. No, uh, yeah, a slightly lesser gift, but... I think um, I think your mom's like her heart was in the right place of like they're needing to be or wanting to have that separation or needing that because of capacity issues or whatever it was. But it's tricky to tell people, hey, sorry, it's it's eight o'clock or seven. So did you grow up in Mount Kisco? No, I grew up in Mayo Pack, which is a tiny town about right. 20 minutes away. I, uh, this is a this is a visual medium. This isn't a visual medium, but uh, you are wearing New York Met, Mets hat right now. That's because it's a hat. I'm not a fan of any team. Oh, OK. That, is that is that just the sports writer neutrality of, of not being a fan of anyone? Correct. Well, is anyone really proud to be a Mets fan? Like, I feel like anytime I have a Mets t-shirt and anytime somebody says, I go like, meh, yeah, sort of. Yeah. I don't it's, know. I think people like the resiliency of being a Mets fan. It's kind of like being a Jet fan, which I grew up as, which is like, someone would be like, you know, why, aren't, why don't you just root for the Giants? And your answer is like, eh, I'm a Jet fan. You can't do it. Yeah, it's, I mean, we have the Maple Leafs. It's the same thing. People yeah. ask you, why don't you do literally anything else? Um, you have John Tavares on the team. Yeah, that's true. As a New York guy, you would know that. Um, no. Well, talking, uh, talk, yeah. talk, talking about New York, uh, Jeff, one thing we did want to touch base with you on is, is a famous interview you did with John Rocker uh, about two decades ago now. Not, not a Jew. No, not but, a big uh, fan of them either, from what I understand. Yeah, I was going to say, your, your interview with him originally, I mean, he had some very racist and, uh, I don't know, homophobic things to say, certainly. I don't know if he said anything anti-Semitic at that time, um, at least yeah. nothing that was printed. I think since he's said things that are pretty anti-Semitic uh, here or there, but he's been much less relevant since since you wrote that article, I guess. So, or you know, coincidentally, vanished. when he, yeah, he is pretty much vanished. He, um, he was selling, you'd, you'd be happy to know in case you're looking for one. 
he was selling speak English t-shirts for a while on his website. So if you want wow. to discount speak English t-shirt, go to johnrocker.com. Did, did he, did he lose the let's go Brandon rights somehow? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. He wasn't in on that at the ground floor. Big mistake. But what's it, what's it like uh, interviewing someone who I, I'm going to assume you found a little personal, personally odious, or at least the things he said a little odious. What's it like doing an interview with somebody like that? Like, especially when it's going to be a, a, you know, sort of profile piece for a magazine. My yeah, guess is actually- you look, you look interested and slide the tape recorder slightly closer. You know, you, um, it's interesting. You, you kind of wear multiple hats in this business. And the truth of the matter is when someone opens up to you, even if you find them objectionable, your goal is to just listen. And Mm -hmm. I think people who start arguing or debating make a mistake. Now you can't egg them on. You can't do that. You, I couldn't be like, if John Rocker is complaining about foreigners, I certainly couldn't say, yeah, those foreigners do suck. Like that's, you know, obviously you can't egg them on, Of course, but you can listen and listen and listen. And I actually, I've never found that that difficult. I've interviewed many people who've said things I don't agree with. I've interviewed many people of different political persuasions in mind, et cetera, et cetera. You kind of just learn self-control and later on you can complain about when you're back home. I always thought it was interesting. He just thought we were two white guys in a car. I've always mm-hmm. been that. Like that was his thing. We're just two white guys in a car. We're talking. It's cool, bruh. You know, that whole thing. He was just kind of a meathead. Do, do you feel like there are things like that? Like what he said in that interview, do you think those things are said and not published by reporters? Oh um, yeah, of course. Of course. Many times I've had, I had reporters after that came out saying you really took advantage of him and that you should have made, you should have said him, are you sure you want this in public? And, and my sort of thing, I always said, like, I wasn't going after him, but it's not, I'm not in the business of protecting racists, <laughs> you know, like, and I had a tape recorder running and I had a ta- uh, notebook out. Like he knew why I was, and I said, hi, I'm Jeff from Sports Illustrated. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. It wasn't a gotcha interview is, oh. hi, I'm Jeff from Sports Illustrated. Of course, yeah. everything you said would be on the record. I want to bring this back a little bit to the Jewish context. I think you just, your comment about two white guys in a car makes a lot of sense. Something that, you know, a, a few months ago, we had Cody Decker on the show. Oh, um, one of my favorite people. Yeah, wonderful. I love guy. Cody. He was great. Um, and, and, you know, he told the story, his perspective was that baseball is so Christian that it doesn't even occur to anyone that there would be a Jewish person in the room. Like, it's just not on anyone's radar. So the same way it's just two white guys talking in a car, it's just 23 guys praying. Yes, he's 100% correct. It's actually really interesting. Um, the, the impact and role of uh, diehard Christianity in sports is no joke, and especially in baseball. Right. And when I was growing up in my small little town with very few Jews, you would get the question. We even had like, do you have horns on your head? Like that kind of craziness. Mm-hmm. People throw pennies at us, my brother and I, different things. You don't celebrate Christmas? No. Well, so what about Santa? You know, like, and in modern day baseball, uh, it's still a thing. There's still a big evangelical role. Baseball is by far the most conservative and least enlightened sport I covered. Interesting. Interesting. And what do you think the most is? NBA by far, by far. Yeah. I, I did like that anecdote. I, I really like that anecdote in your book about uh, Kareem meeting Ronald Reagan and telling him uh, something like, you know, nice to meet you. I disagree with everything you've ever done in all <laughs> totally. your politics. <laughs> I do too. I love, that's right. Yeah, I love Kareem. I, mean, Kareem, I, really, I, I can Kareem. really imagine Kareem doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Kareem is a tough guy, you know, he's not, yeah, but he's got opinions and he's, you know, he's, he's really emerged as kind of a thought leader in modern oh, time, yeah. liberal and, and, and real voice uh, against anti-Semitism. Uh, yeah. he, he's like written multiple times about when there's been anti-Semitic incidents. I think when Stephen Jackson uh, was, I, I can't write, you know, it's so hard to remember exactly what the details were, but he, he supported somebody else in terms of saying some anti-Semitic things. Anyways, but he really, I, uh, you know, I think he asked, is, a, is a supporter of the Jews, I guess. He's down Just with for the, the record, Stephen Jackson went on a podium and, and suggested everyone in the audience research the Rothschilds to see what's right. really going on. Oh boy. That was a scandal. Yeah, it's he not actually, a good man. 
He actually meant former Tampa Bay manager Larry Rothschild. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yankee Yankee CH Larry yeah. Rothschild. That, that yeah, was the guy he was talking about. Maybe he about. was just talking about the wine. It could be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Research it. It's a, you know, Primer crew, crew Bordeaux. You guys got to get into this. They do say NBA players more and more into wine these days. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, there's a big so, article about it a couple of years ago. LeBron, LeBron's a big, uh, big wine guy. Yeah, I am yeah. not. A yeah. uh, couple of questions for you. We don't need to take your whole evening, but okay. we're having fun. And I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned a lot of your other books. You've written nine books. Some of them have been optioned. If you were to take any other one and, and envision a movie, TV show adaptation, What's your your top, what was the most thing you'd like to see put on screen? Uh, I would say I wrote a biography of Walter Payton and it was the most emotionally gratifying and difficult book I've ever written. But also the book really chronicles his rise from poor Mississippi, Columbia, Mississippi to the Chicago Bears to this battle with this horrible disease and ultimately dying of cancer at a very young age. And it has this really interesting arc that I find fascinating and I find him really heroic but flawed. And the problem is that I've run into when I talk to it about people is um, sports movies tend to be a hard sell more than you would think, especially nowadays, because um, these companies are really concerned with international audiences and there's no international audience for an right. NFL player. You can maybe mm-hmm. baseball, definitely basketball more than used to, but the NFL has no international, not much international appeal. So a Walter Payton movie might do great in America, but it would die in the vine in China. That's really interesting. And, and was he as good of a guy as everyone says? Yeah, but he was very flawed. But he was, yeah. Yeah. No one's, first of all, no one's, it's, the funny thing about that, I remember when I first interviewed his brother, Eddie, who now kind of hates me. And I said, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I just read Walter Payne's autobiography. He wrote a book called Never Die, Never Die Easy. And I said, Is your brother as, uh, is your brother as great as he just seems like such a great guy? He said something like, You know what? Nobody's that great. Mm-hmm. And it's actually true. Nobody's that great. We all have flaws. We all have warts. We all have problems. So yeah, he was a great guy, but he also was kind of, he cheated on his wife and he was a hit or miss dad in some areas. And, you know, he had his flaws like we all do. That's it. I mean, that's great. I'm mean, not great, but that's yeah. it. I think that's a really interesting answer. Yeah, I, I would love to see a movie about Walter Payton. He's definitely a guy who I know about, but obviously didn't wa- I didn't watch him play. And if you guys can put together, I don't know, like we don't need more than 5 million to make this thing. So if you guys can- <laughs> You're Jewish. You're Jewish and you work in Hollywood, obviously, because you are. Yeah, we, we know a few guys. Exactly. Yeah, right, right. I also I did want to point out the irony that, you know, as a Jewish person, you've had all these movies options. Now you are all these shows options. Now you get one that might be the least Jewish story of anything you could have done. <laughs> True. But uh, Magic Johnson has the heart of a Jew. Is that right? <laughs> He definitely yeah. tweets. He definitely tweets like a like an old Jewish person. He totally uh, does. He totally without total does. understanding of the uh, of the media. I am very confident that Magic Johnson has been to more than one bar mitzvah. Oh, oh absolutely, sure. no question, no question. Like, like I, I mean, now that he's involved with the Dodgers, like he probably hangs out with Sandy Koufax just to exactly. just to absorb. Sure, exactly. Or Sean Green, who, by the way, yeah. I'm having lunch with in two weeks. Oh no way! Oh, fantastic! <laughs> We're always good for some Sean Green content on this podcast. You're oh. you're like our fourth or fifth interview in a row where Sean Green has come up. <laughs> Sean Green, I covered Sean when he was in baseball, and I always really liked the guy. And uh, now he lives not that far away from me, and he he, used to, he came to speak to a few of my classes. And oh, that's great. We're kind of friends, which is kind of weird. And uh, that's amazing. I said to my wife where... today, I said there'd be a great there's a great script to be written about a former writer a writer and a former ball player becoming friends after the ball player's career is over. And like, yeah, a little especially weird if they're Jewish. 
Jewish, even better. Yeah. That's we might better. not, we might only need 4 million for that one. That's true. Well, Sean has the money. What does that Sean? Yeah. Ex- ex- well, you, exactly. Jeff, you could be, you could be the one to write that. I mean, your foot is in the door of Hollywood, you know, or the door is wide open now. So wide open. Know. People are it's, calling me I out mean, every day. That uh, we used to do, I don't know if you know, in Toronto, when Sean Green, like amongst Jewish kids, like there were, it was almost like legend that he would show up at your synagogue. Like, oh, like Sean Green showed up at Yom Kippur this year. No, 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 yeah. no. Who came to my synagogue at Rosh Hashanah last awesome. year. Yeah. I met him at my summer camp last year. Oh, he came and spoke to my school. He was really like, uh, yeah, everybody had a Sean Green story. And yeah. I'm sure most of them were true. Because we all, <laughs> someone asked me recently, someone was like, when you were growing up and you're Jewish, did it matter to you if like the player wasn't born Jewish? Like they would use Rod Crew, who actually isn't Jewish, but they'd use it. Right, right. yes. like, did it bother you that he wasn't born Jewish? And my answer was, hell no. We will take anyone. We, Elliot Maddox, come on over. Anyone, as long as you're even close to, if you're married to Jewish, I'm totally happy. Right, exactly. Well, we, we are, we're having a, a, a mensch madness next month for to try to pick the greatest Jewish athlete of all time. And one of the people on that list is Amari Stoudemire. So he will be uh, among the- be. If you have a final four of greatest Jewish yeah. athletes, of all time, let's hear let's hear yours. It's got to be Koufax, obviously. Yeah, it's got to be Greenberg, obviously. It's High probably got to be Max Bear. So okay, we we went with Barney Ross instead of Max Bear. You are oh all right, that's not bad. And then um, Dolph Shays. Uh, so Dolph Shays is on the list. Uh, the two two big ones that you're missing, I think, are Mark Spitz and Dara Torres, uh, both swimmers oh, who and, were sort of and Sue Bird. Know, pretty dominant. And Sue Bird is our number one seed. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Sue Bird's number one seed. Yeah. Sue Bird's yeah. a number one seed over Sandy Koufax. They're both. They're, they're both, both number they're one. The two. Oh, I see. Got <laughs> a whole bracket system here. Yeah. This, but isn't this a little bit like? Um, you have a final four and like one team is coming out of the ACC undefeated and you know, they're going to win the national championship. Isn't that Kofax? Yes. So we're Co- Kofax. We had yeah, a long debate over putting, we sort of, we will get to this question with you because we only got a few minutes left, but you know, we have to ask when we ask who your favorite Jewish athlete is of all your guests, we have to like quantify like, Oh, when you were a kid, because right. if you say overall, the answer is always Kofax. Right. Oh, so you asked so, me my favorite Jewish yes. athlete. Who was your, when you were a kid, who mattered to you in the eighties in New York? Well, my number one favorite Jewish athlete, even though it turns out I wasn't Jewish, was Rod Carew. Right. Far. And I loved Rod Carew as a kid. Like, loved Rod <laughs> Carew. And he wore the right. high. And yeah. I was all about Rod Carew. Like, I, I loved Rod Carew. I really did. Did you think he was Jewish at the time? Of course I did. Course <laughs> I did. Um, you know, it's funny because, and I understand why everyone thinks he's Jewish or, he, you know, he had a Jewish wife, his kids are Jewish. But someone who doesn't get brought up, who actually did convert after their playing years, was uh, Patriots linebacker Andre Tippett. And he has like fully converted to Judaism. He, and he was like a pretty good player. You know, he was I like an, was a great player. Yeah. Like he, he was a great player. I, I guess as a Jets fan, you would have watched him uh, when you were a kid, you know, he was like Lawrence Taylor light back in the day. He really was. And it's just like, you know, he sort of, he isn't so much in the public consciousness or anything like that, but like, yeah, married a Jewish woman converted to Judaism. So, you know, someone who should be celebrated in the same, in the same voice as Rod Crew. Yeah. That's as pretty a, As a convert. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, my parents bought me a book, like the greatest Jewish athletes. I know there's a joke. It's a pamphlet, but there's actually, actually yeah. like 200 pages and it was like i remember like steve ratzer was like a pitcher of the montreal expo <laughs> like i was all about i was reading they bought me that for hanukkah one year and i was like all about this book uh and then the last thing uh well i, I just want to say my my dad would kill me if i didn't say this i think so he grew up in uh, jamaica queens and now lives in toronto moved to toronto years ago but i think he reads the bad guys one almost yearly Wow. Just to sort of like relive that time in his life. When he when he had to see a doctor, he like going to Ron Taylor. Like that's the only this is he's like that kind of Mets fan. Number one, 
I don't know if he saw this, but you're actually supposed to pay me 20 bucks every time you read the book. <laughs> oh, kind of weird. I haven't got a check from him. Oh, right. text him. Um, and number two, please tell him I appreciate that. That's really flattering. It's uh, yeah, it's a, it's a one book I've written that actually seems to have a little bit of a cult following among like like Met fans seem to know that book better than my other books are known by fan bases. Yeah, I, well, hopefully the the Mets will win another World Series. So Jeff, you can write another book about it, and Dave's dad will have something something else to read. There you go. I I'd love to read it. I mean, this is not. I'm looking for forward to any sort of Subway series book that is not bad. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I was 11. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, Jeff, we should wrap it up there. Thanks thanks for being so generous with your time and joining us. Um, everybody can watch Showtime. It's coming out, I think, next Sunday. Uh, March, so 6th. Be March 6th. March mm-hmm. 6th. And uh, it's coming on HBO, HBO Max, I think. And it looks really great. I'm really excited to watch it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, uh, uh, really big thanks to Jeff Perlman for joining us. Uh, you can catch Showtime on HBO, HBO Max right after, or if you're in Canada on Crave, after this Sunday, which is uh, which is uh, March 6th. Showtime was the name of the book. The name of the show, I believe, is Winning Time. So you can catch Winning Time uh, at the end of this weekend. Um, really, really funny, as, as we discussed, to, to write a, a book with the same name as a rival network. Yeah, it's like NBC would never put out a, a show about the alphabet called ABC, you know, even for children. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, anyway, yeah. thanks to Jeff. Uh, as he mentioned earlier, he's also got a new book coming up this year, which is about Joe Bat, which about Joe Baxson, famous uh, uh, both football and baseball player Joe Baxson. No, that's Bo Jackson. I'm here to talk about. Um, that's uh, Jeff's new book about Bo Jackson, which we're all excited to read. Thanks for that. And uh, uh, that will just about do it for our show this week. Um, yeah, as always, uh, you can find us on the Canadian Jewish News. That's at uh, the cjn.ca. You can find their uh, Facebook page, the CJN Lounge, obviously on Facebook. Um, you can please listen to, like, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, uh, any podcast player you got. Always good to get subscriptions, comments, anything you got. And you can follow us on Twitter at Menchwarmers. Oh, we should also plug Gabe in terms of social plugs. We should plug Menchwarmers TikTok, which but now has one video. It has one video made wonderfully by Jamie uh, about Unka Jams. Yeah, so uh, we are branching out to a new medium. We are not very good at it because we are both, uh, you know, medium to old millennials. Elder and, millennials. Uh, elder millennials, and we are not as uh, as keen on the, on the new technology. But hopefully we'll continue to do the odd TikTok here and there. And uh, yeah, check it out for our, our list of the top five Jewish gambling movies. <laughs> We ever find a way to reanimate the dead? I'd love to talk to Paul Newman. Well, we'll leave it there. Until next time, thanks for joining us.